Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. We're certainly thankful that you've tuned in to Words of Grace today, through whichever means that you listen to us, whether over the airwaves or by way of our podcast. We're just so thankful to have you in our listening audience And we pray that God is richly blessing you, especially this time of year when we remember the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've never gotten in touch with us here at Words of Grace and you're a regular listener, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by way of our church website, which is found at flintriverpbc.org. You could send us a message at our church Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Church. Or you could write a letter to us the old-fashioned way by addressing that to Words of Grace Broadcast, 641 Moontown Road. That's M-O-O-N-T-O-W-N, Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. It is always a privilege to hear from you, and we are ecstatic every time that a listener reaches out to us. It's just A blessing to know that Words of Grace has meant something to you and that this ministry has not been in vain. Our broadcast today is entitled, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. It's once again the time of year when believers around the world celebrate the death, but also the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is something that should cause us to experience a rather bittersweet emotion as we remember the death of our Lord and all the agony that he went through upon the cross of Calvary, that should make us sad because the Lord Jesus was not crucified for anything that he had done. He was not crucified because he had committed a crime, but he died on the cross for our sins. And so as he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, dying for the sins of his people, he was there dying for the sins of his people. And sometimes we say that, and it's almost a generic sort of sense, and it separates us from the personal nature of that. But Jesus upon the cross died for my personal sins and your personal sins, child of God. And so the sins that we have committed at any point in our life, Christ died for them, he suffered for them, he paid the price, the debt that we owed God, and that causes us to be very, very sad when we think about everything that he had to go to because I am sinful and because you are sinful, because we were guilty. We had no excuse, and there was nothing that we could do to appease God's wrath. And so God's Son came and died for us, even at an appointed time. As we recently emphasized in the pulpit, the Lord Jesus did not die at a random time. He didn't come into the world as a last-ditch effort to save people. No, Christ came into the world at an appointed time when the fullness of the time was come. God sent his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Jesus came according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God had determined before that Christ would come into the world and die. Now, to be very clear, God doesn't make any of the people do the wicked things that they do to Christ. No, they took him and crucified him with wicked hands. 
But the time and the way that Christ would die, this is orchestrated by God from before the foundation of the world. Christ in covenant agreed with his Father and the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God, covenants within himself to send the Son of God into the world to die for the sins of the covenant people of God. Now, that breaks our heart, knowing that we were so wretched that God had to make provision to send his Son into the world. He gave his Son for us that we would not perish but have everlasting life. That's heartbreaking to know. And so this is a very bitter sweet time. But as we think about that first day of the week when Sunday morning came and the ladies go to anoint the body of the Lord for burial, they were unable to do that according to the law because the day before was the Sabbath. They come to anoint his body and lo and behold, he is risen. Well, that's a very sweet thing. And so it's bitter sweet. There's a lot of sweetness as we think about the fact that the Lord Jesus is risen indeed. He's not still in the tomb. He's not dead. He didn't decay. He didn't turn back to dust. But the Lord Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. And so, yes, it's bitter as we think about the death of Christ, but it's also sweet as we think about the resurrection and the victory of Christ and the salvation that we have through this offering of Christ once for all, once for all of his people upon the cross of Calvary. Because of that, this is one of my favorite seasons. If you know me personally, you know that I love Thanksgiving and I love Easter. Usually at the time of Easter, I'll spend a portion of the week thinking about certain aspects of our Lord's crucifixion, his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. And I would just point out that you cannot get closer to the gospel than when you're thinking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's how Paul defined the gospel in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we would do well to keep that in mind as his people. But I love thinking on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ at this time of year in particular. Just from Scripture, it's interesting to take note that of the 89 chapters of the four Gospels, 30 of those are devoted to this time period between Jesus' triumphal entry and his resurrection. To me, that just drives the point home that this is something that God would have us to know a lot about because there are periods in the Lord's life that we don't know a lot about. And so I love to reflect upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord at this time of year in particular. Now, some people scoff at that, and they'll say that you shouldn't celebrate what we call Easter, and they'll say that even the word Easter is of pagan origin. It isn't. It actually comes from the word East. I recognize that there are words in other languages that had some sort of pagan connotation, but just because a word in one language sounds like a word in another language, it doesn't mean that those two words are related or cognate. As a student of multiple languages, I can tell you that there are sometimes words that sound the same that have no common origin. They just simply sound the same. There are only so many types of sounds that a human can make with his voice. And so because of that, you'll occasionally have coincidental similarities between words of different languages. Well, no, this word Easter is not a pagan term, and it's not a pagan thing for God's people to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord this time of year. To be very clear, there's one thing that God gave the church that we are to most certainly do by way of command that shows his death, and that is to 
observe the Lord's Supper, and to break the bread, and to drink the wine, and to show his broken body and his blood that was shed for us. But you cannot, and listen to me carefully, you cannot separate the day of the resurrection from the calendar. It was a calendar day in a calendar year, and there's nothing wrong with remembering as you come to that day, that anniversary once again, that our Lord is risen indeed. And so as we come to Easter Sunday each year, I think about it. I think about the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. I think about all that he did that week. I'll read things that he did and things that he said to his disciples and other people. And in my experience, it's been a time in which I've felt very close to the Lord because I read about what he did for me and how he was victorious over death. Again, Jesus died on a calendar day, and we can't separate life and Christianity from the calendar. It's connected, and so it's fine for you to remember this was the day two millennia ago that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, and then this was the day two millennia ago when the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected. So each spring, as we approach unto Passover and we come to the Easter season— I'm just reminded once again of the Lord's resurrection. Now, as we think about the resurrection today, I'd like to tie in last week's broadcast with what I want to share with you today. If you tuned in to Words of Grace last week, you know that we presented a defense of the phrase, only begotten Son, as it's found in English Bibles up until the last two decades. Not to rehash that, you can go listen to that broadcast at our church website, but Because modern Bible translators and seminary professors and celebrity preachers prefer to use the often contradictory critical text, they've chosen to redefine a Greek word that's found a few times in John's writing that translates properly as only begotten as something else because the critical text that they prefer to use has a single problematic textual variant in John 1.18 that would make God out to be the only begotten God, which is obviously foolishness and heresy, and we reject that reading. In that broadcast, we defended this phrase, only begotten Son, from the Greek language. We looked at other words that are cognate with that particular word that translates only begotten. It properly translates that. It was that way in the Tyndale Bible, the Bishop's Bible, the Geneva Bible, the King James Bible, and Bibles in English all the way up until our modern day. It translated in a similar way into Latin and many other languages in the history of Christianity. That's what the word simply means, only begotten. And we defended that from history, and the place that we looked to was the Nicene Creed, which literally uses the word to mean that in Greek and also the English translations of the Nicene Creed. Suffice it to say, only begotten Son is a biblical term that we would be wise to retain in our theological vocabulary. Turning to the book of Romans chapter 1, and again, our message today is entitled, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Turning to Romans chapter 1, we read in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. What's the gospel again? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 2 is a parenthetical statement, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, 
according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. I love Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. These are a couple of verses that you might just think are introductory pleasantries, and Paul is simply rattling off some formal language to introduce his epistle to the Romans. But Paul actually expresses both natures of the Lord Jesus Christ here in Romans 1, 3, and 4. First of all, concerning his son, that's a statement, as we'll return to in just a moment, of his deity and divinity. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. First of all, Christ is made of the seed of David. And this refers to his incarnation, and referring to his incarnation, this refers to his humanity. Christ took upon him the form of sinful flesh, though he had no sin of his own. He was made like unto his brethren. He took upon him the seed of Abraham. He was made of the lineage of David. All of these different phrases you can find in the New Testament. But Christ was made of the seed of David at his incarnation. He was a son of David. And this is interesting. Mary is a descendant of David. You find her genealogy in Luke's gospel and his adopted father, Joseph. Now, he had no biological connection to Joseph, but he was adopted by Joseph. And Joseph was also a son of David through a different line than that of Mary. And so Jesus has a right, a legal right to the throne of David, both through being born of Mary, in a natural sense, you might say, and being the adopted son of Joseph in an adoptive sense, which both are legally binding for the eldest son in a household. But notice that word there, made. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. That is to say, the physicalness of the Lord Jesus had a beginning at his incarnation. When the Holy Spirit overshadowed his mother Mary, that holy child that was conceived in her being of the Holy Ghost, his flesh, when he, the word that was with God and was God and was with God, when that word was made flesh, well, that's his incarnation. That's when he was made according to the seed of David. But notice that his sonship of God, his deity, his divinity, was declared rather than made. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And so while he, the Word, was made flesh, and he was made of the seed of David at incarnation when his physical body was in some mysterious sense generated by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin named Mary, he has been God's Son for all of eternity. To be the Son of God, to be one with the Father, is to be of the same nature, the same substance of the Father. Or as we read in the book of John chapter 10, to be one with God, I and my Father are one, Jesus said, is to make himself equal with God. Now the Jews understood that. As Jesus said, I and my Father are one, they take up stones to stone him. And as they take up stones to stone him, they say, because you have committed blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. So to say, I and my Father are one, is to say that he is literally of the same substance as the Father. He is co-eternal. He is co-equal. He's of the same substance. Consubstantial is the translation of the Nicene word there. 
He is eternal. He then is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, all the omnis of Scripture regarding to God. But remember, God is also one God. God is indivisible. God cannot be divided. God cannot be replicated. And so Christ, the second person of the Godhead incarnate, the eternal Son of God, has always been God's eternal Son, because all of the nature of God that the Son shares with God the Father, again, co-equal, co-eternal, these are eternal traits, if you will, or attributes. And so for all of eternity, the Son is the only begotten of the Father, God's eternal Son. God the Father is God the Father for all of eternity, and God the Holy Spirit, which proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is God the Spirit for all of eternity. Now, when you get into trying to understand and wrap your mind around all of that, just suffice it to say, you're going to come up short. None of us are going to understand that, because we're looking at a God whose ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And just as much as an ant cannot understand the grand scope of the universe, infinitely less can you and I as sinful beings understand the full nature and purpose and being of this Almighty God that we serve, but we can simply believe it. We can accept what the Word of God says about it, that there are three that bear record in heaven, and these three are one. Jesus and His Father are one, that Jesus is God incarnate, that He's God the Son eternally, God the Father is God the Father eternally, and Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, of the same substance, consubstantial. Now, because of that, because Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, you and I, as we read in the book of Acts chapter 2, can rest in hope. Or, as Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not our heart be troubled. In Acts chapter 2, we read Peter's sermon to these devout Jews out of every nation under heaven that are gathered here in Jerusalem. You men of Israel, hear these words. Listen to me, he says. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Again, he comes into the world according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, but the wickedness that crucified him, well, God didn't cause that. All the evil and wickedness that came against God's Christ was squarely laid on the hands of those who committed such things. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. David sees this. He sees that God would loose the pains of death for Christ Jesus, that it was not possible that he should be holden of it, that is, of death. David sees this through the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? He says, I foresaw my Lord before my face. He's on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore, David says, My heart shall rejoice, therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope. David basically says here that he was glad, he rejoiced, he expressed praise to God, and his flesh shall rest in hope because 
Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Because Christ never saw corruption. Because Christ did not decompose. Because the Lord Jesus was raised again. Because he is risen and alive even today. David looks at that hundreds of years before it would come to pass. And he says that when I die, my flesh, it shall rest in hope. David's not worried about dying David is not worried about his future, but David understands that because his Lord would be raised again, David doesn't have to fear death. He knows that salvation will be accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, and his victory will be attested to by the fact that he will be risen from the dead, resurrected once again. And if there's any doubt that that's what that's referring to, you can simply read verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. And the soul being left in hell there does not have reference to the place of torment, because Christ went to his Father's hands, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He presented this offering through the eternal spirit to his Father after his death upon the cross. Rather, hell here has reference to the abode of the dead or the state of being dead. He would not remain dead He would not be in the grave in the form of death, as it were, being dead because, well, he was raised again. His flesh never saw corruption or decomposition. Now, because of that, well, our flesh can rest in hope. We have rest in this world, and we have this confidence, even in our moment of death, that the Lord Jesus has saved us from our sins, and we will be with him in glory because of his salvific work, his resurrection, attesting to the fact that it is finished, God has accepted the offering. There's nothing that can happen that can separate a child of God from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Now, I love to think about that. His resurrection attests to so much. It proves so much. If Jesus is risen again, and history reports that he is, humans have invented failed, feigned conspiracy theories for the last 2,000 years to explain away how this man had risen from the dead and why those eyewitnesses of that went to their death, and that's historically regarded, went to their death for preaching the resurrection of this Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. So that narrative is true. It happened. And because of that, the enemies of God have made up lies and stories and conspiracies about it ever since. But since he is risen, the word of God is declared to be true. Why is this the word of God when some other religious book is not the word of God? Because Jesus said it was. Why do we know there's a heaven that we get to go to? Because Jesus said it. Why do we know there's a hell? Because Jesus said it. Why do we know that there's a Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said it was so. Why do we know that God the Father hears us when we pray to him through his Son? Because Jesus said it. Why do we know that God is triune? Because it's depicted in his Word. Everything that we read in the Word of God is true because Jesus said it was true. He died upon the cross, and he rose again. And so to now turn to the book of John chapter 14, I just want you to hear these words. Jesus speaking in John 14 to the disciples before his crucifixion. Now, these men, they would see Jesus arrested. They would see Jesus tried. They would see Jesus beaten and scourged. They would see him carry his cross, those of them that followed at a great distance away to see what was going to happen. They would see him nailed to a tree and buried. And for the time period between his arrest and his resurrection, at least when they learned of his resurrection. These were, of all men, most miserable. 
they were in utter despair because everything they thought was true in their mind had been uprooted. Now, had it really been uprooted? No. Jesus told them multiple times, by the way, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be crucified, and every time he made those statements, they would argue with him. And then it came to pass, and suddenly they're surprised. Well, Jesus tells them prior to this, before their world is turned upside down, he comforts them. Oh, how much more peace they would have had if they had kept these words in mind. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. As you look at the resurrection of the Lord from the dead, what can you take from that? Well, let not your heart be troubled. He rose again. He's alive. It's a fact. It's real. All of this is real. It's not a myth. It's not a folklore. It's not some sort of a therapeutic thought for weak-minded people, as miserable, angry atheists often claim. No, but this is actually reality. Christ rose again. And because he rose again, beloved, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And most likely this preparation there has reference to the work of Christ on the cross. He prepared a place for us legally upon the cross of Calvary. He presents this work to his Father, and his Father accepted it. It shall please the Father to bruise him. I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. That's referring to the second coming of Christ. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." Now, this isn't explicitly stated here, but the resurrection of God's people from the dead is inseparably connected with the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And so, since Christ is risen from the dead, well, all of his people will be resurrected from the dead. Their bodies will be raised. Now, their bodies will be changed, but their bodies will be raised. Jesus went to glory. He ascended up into heaven in the same body he was crucified in. And so, our bodies, though they turn back to dust, God will raise them again. He will glorify them. They will be conformed to the image of his Son, and we will forever be with the Lord because of Christ. But he tells them, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go you know, and the way you know. Now this confuses Thomas. Thomas says unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? In other words, if I don't know where you're going... How do I know how to get there? And you just said that we know the way. Now, the truth is they did know the way. Even if they didn't realize it, the way is Christ. Thomas has a legitimate question here in his misunderstanding. If you don't know the destination, you can't know the route. And so Thomas has a legitimate concern, but he misunderstood what Christ was saying. Jesus replies, and listen to this, I am the way. This is one of the I am statements of Christ in his personal ministry. I am the way. The way to heaven, friend, is not religion. The way to heaven is not joining the right church. The way to heaven is not your good works. The way to heaven is not your repentance. The way to heaven is Christ. Nothing you do contributes to your salvation. He is the way of salvation. He is truth personified, and he is the life. Jesus is the only source of life, whether natural or spiritual. Jesus lighteth every man that cometh into the world as creator. All life is because of him in a physical sense, but 
also all life in a spiritual sense, eternal life, spiritual life is through him as well. He is the only source of life, whether natural or spiritual. And as you see here in verse 6, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to the Father is through Christ. Now, how do we know that this way has been provided? Well, let not your heart be troubled. He is risen. Jesus saved his people from their sins. I pray that we rejoice in the finished work of Christ on this another Easter Sunday, but every day of every week of every year of our lives from this point forward, because He is risen. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.